Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. All right, well, welcome back to Training for Manhood. This is Dan Panetti, and I've got Jacob Browning back with me because I listened to his podcast, which aired last week, um, on true masculinity. And there were a couple thoughts that just kind of went through my head, and uh, a couple of those things dealt with some of the things that I had been reading about, some of the things that I've been using for some parent training. Uh, and so, Jacob, I just want to first uh, say thank you for doing that first podcast um, because I really enjoyed listening to your, your story, your testimony. Um, but thanks for coming and agreeing to come back so we could kind of parse this out a little bit more. I'm honored to be back. All right. So there's a, there's a statement that actually comes out of a book that I used uh, for some parent training. It's called The Boy Crisis. Uh, it says why our boys are struggling and what we can do about it. And I just want to start off by saying this is not an endorsement of the book. Definitely not an endorsement of the book. Um, it, the book is not written from uh, my particular worldview perspective, um, but I, uh, anything that has, uh, you know, boy crisis or, um, you know, a boy struggling uh, sure. into manhood, right? I'm going to grab the book and I'm going to read it whether I agree with it or not, because I want to see what they're talking about and what they're saying. And so um, Dr. Uh, Warren Farrell uh, wrote the book uh, with John Gray. Uh, and I would, I would say that for the most part, um, you know, 75 to 80% of the book I found to be um, not useful, mm. uh, even to the point of, of um, <laughs> I don't want to go, go too far, right? Mm -hmm. But it was it was not helpful uh, in uh, for kind of examining the concepts of the boy, the things our boys are struggling with, sure. right? So uh, for the most part, I was like very disappointed in the book, but there was one statement that kind of captured my mind mm -hmm. that related specifically to what our conversation was last week. And sure. so I wanted to read it and kind of get your take on it. And it's uh, Dan, before you do, yes. there's a subtle thing that you're teaching right now that I think is valuable for anyone to hear. Our worldview, another worldview, and that's that though there's another opinion out there and you probably don't agree with it, diving into the literature of that topic is very important to make you a well-rounded uh, intellectual. The only difference between an ideologue and a well-informed opinion is embracing the other argument and trying to understand where they're coming from. Yes, so, I would, very subtle lesson there, I would, but important. I would 100% agree with you, right? I am not a, they call it like silo mentality, where you mm -hmm. only listen to views and values that right. are exactly the same as yours, right? And I do not support that. I love grabbing the literature, right? Listening to the arguments of others um, and bringing those up against what I believe to be true and making sure that the truth can stand. So I don't have any problem, right, with taking the Word of God and saying, how does it relate to somebody else's writing, somebody else's teaching, somebody else's whatever, because I know the truth of the Word of God is going to stand. So, Amen. Um, I, you know, I'm good with reading this book. Uh, and again, you know, 80% of the book I didn't find valuable <laughs> and I do not endorse it. But I want to read this, and it actually starts on page three. Uh, it talks about a young man, his, his name is uh, Royce Mann, who's age 15. I just want to start with that. And uh, he's writing uh, in this, um, it's called A Hatch, um, A Global Community Designed to Hatch Creativity. He wrote a poem, uh, and this is what the poem says. Okay, I'm going to read it. It says, recently I became a man. It happened the first time a woman avoided me on the sidewalk. When the woman, 10 feet in front of me, glanced back, she changed direction crossing the street like Moses did the Red Sea. Her footsteps taught me the danger of my own hands, taught me what it truly means to be a man, though I may never know what it means to fear one. You know, in that moment, I finally understood Peter Pan. You see, I wanted to stay a boy, not become a man, because a man 
as I now knew, was a mix between a father, brother, and attacker, mostly the latter. And that's what this young man, age 15, wrote. And I just, that captured my mind, especially when you and I had talked last week about you growing up in a situation where your father was physically abusive to you. So you've experienced that reality, right? That masculinity was portrayed to you as something that was dangerous, mm -hmm. right? You begin to live that out in your own life, and then you had a complete transformation, sure. thank you, Lord, Amen. right? Where you begin to see things differently. So when, when I read that to you, right, how did you feel about what he was writing? Well, the first thing that came to mind is that it seems as though this young man is subscribing to one view of masculinity. Mm -hmm. There was this one time my buddies and I, we had ridden our bikes down the road to go to the convenience store, and we were waiting to check out with some candy, and um, the clerk looked up uh, with the $20 bill to mm -hmm. the light, mm -hmm. and I'd never seen someone do this before. Right. Your 20 is bad. <laughs> yeah, and the guy in front of us was trying to get one over on the shop clerk, mm -hmm. and he ripped up the 20 and threw it in the trash can and says, this is counterfeit. Well, pause for a moment. That does not therefore prove that all the money and the money that I had in my hand is counterfeit money. Right counterfeits actually presuppose the genuine article. Mm -hmm. It seems as though this young man in this poem has subscribed to only one kind of masculinity. Right. And it's not biblical masculinity. Right. But maybe it's the masculinity that he's seen sure. and seen portrayed in the culture. Sure. And I think that's what the danger yeah. becomes, right, is, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the Me Too movement, right? The idea that there was for a long time men that would be abusive and would get away right. with it. And now there's a, a pushback on that and saying, hey, men, we're not going to allow you to treat right. others, right, with disrespect, right? right? But mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that all men have done that. No. So notice what happens here, right? When you grow up in a culture where all you have seen is counterfeit money, mm -hmm. that's all you think exists. Right. But remember the principle there. If it's counterfeit, there has it's to counterfeit. Be a genuine article. There's <laughs> got to be the genuine article. Right. And from our worldview, and for a myriad of reasons that I'm confident that we'll talk about at some point, maybe not in this podcast, but why we believe that the biblical perspective of masculinity is the genuine article. Whenever we are embracing a culture that only sees the counterfeit, we've got to show them what the real deal looks like in our own lives. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the important aspect of what I'm trying to get across. The, the reason for the podcast that exists, right, mm -hmm. is there's so much of the counterfeit mm -hmm. that you see out there that this is what it means to be a man, and this young man is writing about it, right? right. Recently, I became a man, right, at age 15, by the way. <laughs> I was yeah. like, eh, I don't think so. Anyway, <laughs> right, but but his idea of what it means, right, right, is now I understand, right? I mean, when he said, I want to be, you know, Peter Pan, I never want to grow up, I just want to be a boy, and I'm thinking... Like, why do you want to be a boy, though? Right. Right? Because because men are dangerous? Well, the same thing that you just said, right, that, that there's a counterfeit, so there must be a genuine article. If men mm -hmm. are dangerous, mm -hmm. well, then that means that men have power, but that power can be used for good and for bad. Right. Well, why does he have to then, I guess, presuppose that men always use it for bad? That it's only, that it's, it's inevitable. Only for, right. In, in my manhood, it's inevitable that I'm going to wrong, and in this, to be really literal with his poem, which I know is figurative, but particularly to women, right? it is inevitable that I'm going to domineer them. I'm going to, I mean, the word he uses here is attacker, right? Uh, which has a physical connotation to exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, to think that you are on the inevitability train of doing that with a young lady is a very sad way to view your future. And no wonder you would want to be Peter Pan. If I thought that sincerely about myself, I would want to stay in Netherland too. Um, however, 
um, we do not see that play out biblically and the high call that God has on man um, as it plays out in the scriptures. Right. So I guess here's the, here's the question. What would you then say specifically, right, if you sat down and had a you know, 20-minute conversation with this young man, if that's what he saw, right, as the reality? I don't want to grow up because if I grow up, right, and I have that power, I'm going to misuse that power. I'm going to domineer others. I'm going to be physically violent against them, right? You grew up in that culture mm-hmm. as that being your example. So how did you change and shift so that that's not the way that you live your sure. life? The first thing I want to talk to him is that why is it that he subscribes to a fatalism, mm-hmm. um, to a hardline determinism? Mm-hmm. Um, deep within my construct and the way that I see the world playing out is that each person has a free choice to make in any given moment that they'll be held accountable for. And sure, that means that we have the possibility of choosing the wrong thing. True. But that freedom that we have that I believe is actually wrapped up in the image of God that mm-hmm. he has given us to do, we have a rationale that I would want to first talk about that. And once we got past that and we started embracing the idea that I I actually have some control over this, I would compel him with the scriptures. And where I would go with that would actually be to First Peter. It's in the third chapter and it's the seventh verse. It's a short nugget, but man, it gives you what you need as a as a husband in particular. Okay. okay. So the strictest context is in marriage. Um, now, don't get me wrong. God has a lot to say about manhood. Um, the Proverbs are rich with this, specifically Proverbs 2 through 9. Um, is that written from the perspective of a father to a son and how to raise that young boy up into totally. manhood? Yep. But here's what I see playing out here. Uh, Peter's instruction to the husbands is to, verse 7 says, to live with your wives in an understanding way. Mm-hmm. So a quick pause there. If I'm living with someone in an understanding way, what I'm doing is I'm not neglecting my responsibilities, nor am I domineering. What I'm doing is I'm coming in with questions. I want to understand them. I often say that I'm getting my PhD in my wife. Right. I'm wanting to understand what makes her work. Yeah. Unfortunately, she doesn't get a PhD in me because I'm very simple. I, I'm just a, a grown man that has a little five-year-old boy inside of me. He wants to hear, I love you and I'm proud of you. And she has already figured that out. She doesn't even get a certificate for that necessarily because I'm so simple. Yeah, generally, just feed me, right? <laughs> generally, food on the table. Feed. I'm a happy camper, right? I'm, I'm not too complicated. <laughs> so, but, with our, but with our wives, and actually, let's continue reading. I think it's going to prove the point. Yeah, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. Now, that didn't speak to her value, her worth, what it speaks to is how you honor the things that have substantial value. This is something that um, uh, you put up on the mantle to show to everyone that you're taking great care for. um, And typically valuable things break easier, so you handle them with greater care. So so my wife teaches um, girls about this. Okay. Right, young yeah. girls, and we, we refer to it as the styrofoam cup verse. Ah, okay, okay? yeah. Um, and the styrofoam cup verse is fine china. So she'll actually bring in styrofoam cups, Yeah. right? And she'll bring in one of our pieces of fine china, which by the way, as, as a man, right, when I got married, um, people gave us gifts, right? Uh-huh. One of the things that they gave us was china. Yeah, which, which I didn't really know, you know, much about, right? <laughs> some some very very special, right? Things um, that were very fancy that we keep kind of hidden away. Right. Uh, we pull out like once a year for to special, dust it and put it back up for special special <laughs> events, right? Um, but the difference between a styrofoam cup, which is um, kind of like you know a penny, it's mm-hmm. worth about a penny. Um, you know, they're they're like a dime a dozen. They look like everybody else. When you're done with them, you you know you throw them away. Mm-hmm. Versus the fine china, which we have in a protected area. 
Um, it's super, super valuable, right? It's handcrafted. Right. Uh, sometimes the artisan that has made it, you know, puts his signature on the bottom of it. I mean, it's just like there's there's some, you know, the, some work and some thought that goes into it. So when Trisha teaches girls about this particular verse, right, she's like, you want to be considered fine china. So when this verse says the weaker vessel, meaning the more precious right. and more valuable, right. right? She's like, look at the difference between even how she carries them in there. We we carry, you know, she she carries in uh, China and it's all wrapped up, right? And she's mm -hmm. got a styrofoam cup that at the end she crumples up and throws away. Mm -hmm. And a lot of girls buy into that throwaway culture. I don't have any value. Men don't treat me with value. So I see myself, right, as a styrofoam cup as valueless. But if I see myself as fine china, right, right then I'm waiting for the man who recognizes yeah. that I have that particular value. Yeah, and, what and, the what, verse and what Peter is, is saying in there is... Honor. Yes, you're supposed to be the one Showing who recognizes honor. that. Right? right. So, yeah, that's what I would say to this young man as well, mm -hmm. right, is, mm -hmm. is the idea of if you believe that women have value... Right, then you're not going to misuse your hands to be the attacker. Right. Right? You're going to use your hands to be the protector right. and the provider of what God has given Absolutely. you. Right? When, when I use these hands to wash that fine china cup, mm -hmm. let me just tell you. Right? Actually, even more so than fine china, and I'll throw this out. My, my wife loves McKinsey Child's um, like you know stuff. I don't uh -huh. even I don't even know what it is. We got a ton of it for our wedding, right? right? But it's it's beautiful. It's you know it's it's handcrafted. It's uh, it's very pretty and ornate. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so um, every once in a while, uh, in the you know the the years that I've brought up the three boys and and you know the girl in the house, right? But it usually was the boys. Every once in a while, somebody would break one of the McKenzie Childs. <gasps> yes, and can I tell you that was like my wife would look at me like. Really? Like, of all the things to of break in the house, the of all have. the things you have, right? You had to break one of the Dickensy <laughs> child things, right? And that's that's where you kind of look at the you know the boys and you go, you know what? We could probably get rid of one of the boys and make another one look mm -hmm. just like them. Right? So I tell the boys like, you got to be careful. Your value versus the McKenzie Childs. Uh, but that's that's such a great part of that verse, and I love how you brought that in. If that boy were sitting across from us, right, right we would both tell him, right. you have a choice to make yeah. in how you want to treat yeah. women. Yeah. And if you want to treat them like a styrofoam cup, then yes, your hands will crumple them up and throw them away. Right. And, and I would rather you stay a boy right. if that's what you're going to do as a man. But notice the worldview difference here. Yes. Is that we bring in the the genuine article and he is sitting on the counterfeit yes and it shows him a better way a better way yeah i love that i love that that's so good what else anything else you'd say to yeah i mean uh, so i would skip to the bottom of this is one verse um i hope that the the listeners will go and read this first first, but first this, peter three verse seven, seven. yeah okay and the the last latter part of this verse let's skip down to it notice how dead serious god is about his exhortation to men through peter Concerning wives, this latter part here should send chills down your spine. It says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That actually our treatment of women, mm -hmm. though that we are covered in the sacrificial atoning work of Christ, which means that you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, though we have relationship with God, just like any relationship, sometimes a disciplinary action would be to... Right leave that person alone and feel a distance of what that relationship should be. Notice here that God, this may hinder your prayers to God. God may not hear your prayers in accordance with your treatment of your wife if it's inappropriate. Okay, so do you want to know why that makes sense hmm. to me? <laughs> I have a daughter, mm -hmm. okay? And if if you right, were abusive in any way to my daughter, mm -hmm. how do you think that I would feel as her father? 
Oh, offended. All right, exactly. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want you calling me up and saying, you know, hey, Dan, right. uh, you want to go play some golf, right? right. I've, just, I've just hurt and abused your daughter, right? right. There would be a tension right. between us. Right. So the thing that Peter's trying to get across is when you marry, right, a daughter of God, mm -hmm. he becomes your father-in-law. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. And do you think your father-in-law is going to listen to you if you don't treat his daughter well? Of course And not. I read the verse and I go, that's what Peter's saying is, hey, hey guys, right? Check out who your father-in-law is. Right. Right. When you, when you sit down and there's, there's a lot of guys, I mean, I just had with my brother-in-law, he had that conversation with a couple of guys who sat down in his living room, right? Hey, I want to marry your daughter. Right. And we, we joked about the whole idea of you get those guys who are like, you know, they're over there cleaning their guns. Right. Right. And it's like, Hey, listen, if you hurt my daughter, <laughs> right. <laughs> just understand that I'm, I'm coming for you. But that mentality is, you know, if she is precious and she is valuable, right. as men, we should treat her with that value. Right. And this verse reminds me, right, that her father, God, right, right is my father-in-law. Right. And so, right, I don't, I don't think my prayers are going to get above the ceiling mm -hmm. if I can't take care of his daughter well. Yep. And that's the reminder of the verse for me. Super, super important. So notice here that... As we are looking at uh, a book that gets called archaic, mm. gets called out of style, mm -hmm. gets called head in the sand, yeah. long before nearly all cultures that we have literature on during this time period is uplifting the importance of women. That's right. It is truly an understanding of not egalitarianism as in the way that we understand it today in America, but definitely equal before the throne of God. I mean, this verse here says that they are heirs of the grace of life. Yes. Alongside of man. R written in a culture and at a time that did not value women. Right. Right, but this verse obviously gives a great value to women. Right, right. Um, I will. I want to bring out one more verse uh, because it's a verse that sometimes I think misused, and it's in Ephesians. And again, it's talking about husbands and wives. This time, Paul is writing, um, and one of the things that we talked about um, that I wanted to talk about is this idea. We've we've talked a little bit about physical abuse, but there's also emotional abuse. There's also the idea where um, men can be domineering of somebody, and it has nothing to do with physical. Right, because mm -hmm. we we both. Uh, would say that you know, if there's physical abuse or if there's physical violence, right, that is a terrible situation that yeah. needs to be addressed. It needs to be dealt with. Um, but emotional abuse is also a reality that a lot of people are living within. Right. Um, and that needs to be addressed as well. And one of the things that I've seen is um, there's a particular verse in Ephesians uh, where it talks about wives submit to your husbands. Now, of course, when I say that verse, right, in Ephesians chapter 5, everybody you know resonates with it. <gasps> like, oh, yeah, exactly. I've heard that verse, right? Um, well, I had a guy that I was dealing with, and, and there was some tension in their marriage, and there was some, um, in a sense, some some emotional abuse. And I sat him down, and I said, hey, I want you to read this verse. I'm going to read this verse to you, and I want you to tell me what it means to you. And I said, okay, wives, submit to your husbands. What does that mean to you? And he told me, mm -hmm. right, this is what it means to me. And I said, well, let me let me read it again. I said, wives, submit to your husbands, right, as unto the Lord, right? I said, what does it mean to you? And he told me. And I said, let me just, I said, are you a wife? And he's like, no. <laughs> I said, well, then the verse isn't written to you. Right. Right now, of course, you should understand what it means. Right. Right. But what I was trying to get across is a couple of verses later, it actually says, "Husbands, right. love your wives." Right. And so, what I was trying to get to him was the idea of you don't have to worry about whether your wife is submissive or not, because that's where she stands in front of the Lord. Exactly. And she's accountable for that. What you need to spend your time thinking about is how am I loving my wife and loving right. her well. Right. And I think that's one of the things that we go back and we've seen men, right, as this young man is writing about, we've seen that counterfeit, we've seen that example being given of men who have not done the standard well of what it means to truly be a protector and a provider 
right, for women. Right. And we want to call men up to that particular standard and not to misuse verses like this to say, hey, I may not be at the standard, but you still have to submit to me being a lousy husband mm -hmm. and say, hey, husbands, <laughs> right. stop worrying about where your wife is and if, whether she's submitting or not and start worrying about whether you're loving her and loving her well. Yeah. What would you say to that? I would say that that is totally, totally appropriate and fits this context extremely well. What I would also want to, I don't even think this is adding, more reaffirming what you were saying is, oftentimes whenever I get to this portion, I, I very much make sure that if I am speaking to a room that has men and women mm -hmm. in it, is to ensure that wives, it's probably not appropriate for you to call your guy out. Yeah. Your guy's probably not appropriate because within the Christian worldview, we understand that we as people, that we are temples of the living God. Right. Uh, John is going to write in his letter that lightness and darkness do not coincide with one another, mm -hmm. that the light always overcomes darkness. Right. Now that means we become perfect. It does mean, however, that the reality of salvation is that we will look different one day, right, and then days in the future we will look different later because of the work of that spirit in us. Hopefully. Hopefully, right? <laughs> That's the plan. That is the plan. Whenever we look at words like submit here, it, fo it is followed by the ultimate, ultimate call to die. Yes. Literally, the illustration used for the husbands here is to do what Christ did for the church. Christ came into a creation, died on a cross, suffered torture unto his death so that his bride could be washed in the sanctification of his word. That's literally what this passage is talking about. Right. And I always like to look at the room. And by this point, a lot of the ladies are smiling because I just told them the guy that they would love to submit to. And they're not even saying a word. So the high call of man here is to not go into this fatalism like in this poem mm -hmm. to where we see that it's inevitable that I'm just going to wrong women. But rather, we're called to die to ourselves. Right. Very quickly. Um, the last time I was teaching this Ephesians passage, mm -hmm. uh, I get done teaching it. right, And there were several guys and girls that come up to me and they were had more questions and I love that. That mm. thing that's great. And while I was talking with some questions, all of a sudden my phone buzzed and it was my wife. And I always try to be quick with my, when my wife texts me. She had sent me a picture and it was an unfortunate picture. She said, hurry home, please. Jonah has pooped in the tub. <laughs> so what sacrifice looked like to me that day? Sorry if this is inappropriate for any context you're listening to this in. What sacrifice looked like to me right after I talked about husband sacrifice was going on helping my wife with a very unflattering task. Mm. But that's the reality of masculinity. It is. It is. The most manly thing I could do in that moment was not to go, hey, that better be done when I get there or anything other than you're totally right. Get him clean. I will handle the rest. Right. That's manhood. That is. And sometimes it's not, doesn't seem like something you want to celebrate. Well, I just had a conversation with a young man who's, um, they're about to get married, uh -huh. right? And um, his wife may go to school, right? And I said, you know, when you're looking at what job you want to take, I said, you might need to consider um, that you might not want to be working, you know, 90 to 100 hours a week if she's in school, because mm -hmm. you might need be, you know, you might need to be the one who's going home and, you know, doing the, the laundry and doing the right. dishes. Right now, you're thinking, well, hang on a second. Huh. Right now, oh, yeah, exactly. Huh. Hey, I'm the man. I'm, I'm working, right? I'm going to be chewing my tree bark yeah. by that time. <laughs> and I, but that's the concept, right? That if I'm going to serve my wife, right. Right, I'm going to do whatever needs to be done for our family. Right. Right. Now, if that means I'm, I'm working and I'm traveling, that's one thing. If that means I'm home doing the yeah. dishes, that's the other thing. It, it, that doesn't matter for me. I'm right. going to value her. I'm going to serve right. her well. If she happens to be in school, then I might be doing this. If I happen to be in school, she might be doing right. something. And I think that's the concept that we have to get past is this 
this stereotypical, right, we call it, right, definition of masculinity, right, right that men only have to do these things and we don't do these other right. things. Right? You know, men wouldn't do that or men wouldn't do this. And I'm saying from a biblical perspective, I'm here to serve my wife, to love her well, uh, to understand her, right. right? So at this particular moment in our marriage, I might be doing, I might be changing diapers. That's fantastic, right? Yep. In this particular moment, I might be, you know, cleaning up poop over <laughs> here, right? Yes, right? Uh, in this particular moment, you know, I, I may not be a good cook, but, you know, okay, so she's worn out and I've got to cook tonight. Well, I'm going to learn how to cook. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that, right, if women see men lead by right. serving them well, that's a man that she can then follow and submit to. Exactly. And that's what we're calling men to talk about, right? That's the t concept of training for manhood. No question. Providing is not just financial. Right. You provide for your girl financially, emotionally, spiritually, um, this is it's a holistic yes. view of masculinity in your home. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So takeaway, right? One mm -hmm. thing that you would say, um, maybe for this young man, sure. <laughs> right, or for another young man out there who hasn't seen this idea, right? He's only seen uh, the abusive man. He's only seen the attacker man. He's only seen the image of masculinity that the culture has given him. Sure. Where would you point him to to see something different so that he can begin to embrace that and, and want to follow that on his own? Sure. Uh, the thing that I would point them towards, and, uh, and the last thing I'd ever want to do is sound cliche. Okay. But what I would want to point him towards is the model of Christ. Mm masculinity. Yeah, Jesus himself as a person, right. which is a beautiful. So we see a we see a picture here of what uh, the most masculine man that ever lived to be Jesus, right? Um, not Chris Hemsworth. So sorry, everybody. Uh, <laughs> Wait a it, it is Jesus, <laughs> yes. uh, the man that um, that both was laying at laying down at the table, and one of his closest friends was leaned back against him. Mm -hmm. um, that same intimacy, that right. same guy earlier in the week had sat down and premeditated what he was about to do because it shows um, in the Gospels that uh, he fashioned a whip out of leather to chase people out of those who were reviling the name of God in the temple. Right. Out of his dad's house. <laughs> you see all sorts of unique pictures of the complexity of the manhood of Christ, and I would never dream that I'll ever fully live up to that. Right. It does, however, give me a true mosaic of what a man looks like, which is not all one way. Yeah. It's not a it's not a jellyfish with no spine, but it's not a bear that's just waking up from hibernation. Exactly, that's that's a great way to put it. I would say this: um, two things that I would suggest for for a, a young man. Uh, one, watch The Chosen, because um, I, oh, yeah. I think it's a really neat yeah. kind of physical picture of seeing the person of Jesus where. Um, it kind of comes off the page a little bit mm. and you kind of see it and it's alive and you see a, a, what does a man look like and how does he treat his friends and how does, right? And you get a, a neat picture of the masculinity of Jesus, right? right? That he's strong, but kind, mm -hmm. right? He's firm, but fair, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it is, it, it's that, uh, that perfection. And, and we don't give, in a sense, in our culture, Jesus enough credit mm -hmm. of, of being that ideal standard of what a man is. Sure. Uh, and then the other thing I'd say is, you know, spend time in scripture, Right. There's a great book uh, by Thomas Watson called The Godly Man's Picture. Uh, and if you like Puritan writers from the 1600s <laughs> and you can weed through it. Uh, it's All like, eight of you that exist. <laughs> yeah, there's like nine now. There's, a, there's another guy out there saying, yeah, I love the Puritans. Right. But find something that that elevates the concept of what manhood is, not something that's current and cultural that diminishes men and puts us in that box, that stereotypical box of oh, this is what a man must be. And he's got to be an abuser. Right. Find a, a challenge yeah to find out, you know, an elevation of, of manhood right. and the ideal 
and begin to begin to kind of seed your mind with those right. concepts. Yeah. So, you don't have to be the actor for the role that has been given to you. Exactly. You're not fulfilling lines or trying to be something. That, yep. God didn't cast you to be something. He has given you a freedom to be what he's calling you to be. The man, training for manhood. I love it. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.